Hallelujah. Let's turn to the scriptures, please. Let's turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1. The title this evening is simply, When Jesus Comes Again. When Jesus Comes Again. We're just going to lift out two verses. Acts chapter 1, verse 10 and verse 11, please. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Let us pray. Father, thank you. Because he lives, we shall live also. Well, thank you for the death, the burial, and the resurrection of your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he's a risen Savior, ascended at the right hand of the Father, glorified. And Father, we know he's interceding for us on our behalf as our great high priest even this moment. We thank you, Lord, there's a man in the glory who's praying for us. And so, Father, we also thank you that one day you will send him again for your redeemed. We pray now, Lord, as we speak of his coming again, Lord, that you would wing your word home to every heart, to every life, Lord. And if there's even someone here who is not yet saved, that they would realize the necessity of the hour is to be born again of your spirit, to be washed in the blood, to come repenting to the cross, and to be saved for time and eternity. So to that end, Father, we pray, glorify your Son. May thy blessed Spirit, may he move from seat to seat and heart to heart, speaking and touching and blessing and convicting and compelling and convincing men and women this evening. Bless the youth as they have their own service down there this evening. We pray, Lord, you'd bless them in their worship, you'd bless them in their fellowship, but you'd bless the word of their hearts tonight. And, Lord, you'd bless the leaders, the teachers, and the speaker tonight. Lord, to the glory of thy name. We pray, Lord, that you do a wonderful work in our midst, Lord, in this place tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The risen, ascended, and glorified Lord Jesus Christ is on the Mount of Olives. And as he's taken up from his disciples, of course, these two men, we're told, are two angelic beings in White apparel are there. And they say unto them in verse 11, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So the risen, ascended, glorified Christ will one day come again to the earth. Did you know that the biblical references to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ outnumber the references to the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ by some factor of eight to one? Eight to one. It has been estimated that there are 100, 
pardon me, 1,845 Bible references to this wonderful, great, and glorious event. 1,845 references in your Bible of the second coming of the Lord Jesus. In the Old Testament, it is mentioned in no less than 17 of the 39 books. And of course then, in the New Testament, there are 23 of its 27 books where the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ again is mentioned. If we were to take it on an average, the second coming, when Christ comes again, the second coming is mentioned on average seven out of every ten chapters in your Bible in the New Testament. It refers of one out of every 37 verses on average. One out of every 37 verses in your New Testament teaches us and speaks of this magnificent, awe-inspiring and cataclysmic event of Christ coming to earth again. Even as the men said to the disciples as Christ was taken up from them from the Mount of Olives, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now one must wonder, surely one must wonder that since the references of the second coming of Christ are greater and they vastly outnumber those of even the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we must wonder why it is that many preachers or pastors or ministers of the word of God today do not preach it or preach it very little. One might even say that we celebrate the birth, the first coming of Christ at Christmas time because it's a remembrance of the past event. Because it's scripture and it's fulfilled. And what's wrong with that? Well, there's nothing wrong with that. But did you know that you're told nowhere in the scriptures to remember his birth, but you're told to remember his death. You're told to remember his death. Should the second coming not be preached and believe then on faith, just like you believe in faith that when you have come repentant of your sin, when you've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and when you by faith have been washed in the blood of Christ, that you're saved for time and eternity, and by faith you believe that, and I believe that, then surely we should by faith lay hold on that which the Scriptures have said in so many places and reference to that we should be talking preaching, testifying, and witnessing that Christ is coming again. I understand it's a minefield, the order of things. I know what I believe in the order of things, and I have friends who don't believe what I believe in the order of things. But one thing we know is that he is coming again. Jesus is coming. We don't know the day, nor do we know the hour, but we know that he will come again. For example, in John chapter 1 and verse 14, 
It says the Word, that is the Word that was with God and is God. Uh, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You see, in Isaiah 45 and verse 22, Yahweh, Jehovah God himself said, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. There isn't any other. Now, how can we see him when he is the great invisible spirit, so to speak? How do we see someone with the naked eye? And so hence, not only in manifestation, pillars of cloud and pillars of fire in theophany form and in a burning bush speaking out of it with his voice and his word, he showed Israel as well. But now he shows us. He shows us himself speaking through the prophets, but now he shows us himself through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word that was with God and is God, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Listen to what the Hebrew writer says. God who at sundry times and divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. That's the prophets we read about. God uses their mouth to speak, to reveal himself, to make himself known in word and in testimony. It says, has spoken unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. The very center of heaven, the word of God, the very center of earth, the Son, the Lord Jesus, dying on the very center on the cross, means we can see the one who said, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. When you look at Calvary, when you look at the cross, when you look at Christ and you look at his dying and you see and behold with the eye of faith the blood that he shed, we are seeing God manifest in the flesh. The invisible becomes visible to us. What a wonderful Christ. What a magnificent Savior. And here we're told the word was made flesh. So he's our kinsman, he's our redeemer. And we remember his death for he told us in, uh, through the apostle in 1 Corinthians 11 and verses 24, 25, he says, this do as he broke bread. This is my body, drinking the cup. This is, we, we broke bread and we remembered him this morning. This do in remembrance of me, he said. And hence we do remember his death. We look upon him on the cross But notice here, we are to look at him and look for him. Notice this. We are to look for him in Hebrews 9 and verse 28. That is coming again. We remember him. We look at him on the cross. The eye of faith says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that I'm the sinner that he came to save. And you can say the same. But now we look for him. We look for his coming. Hebrews 9 and 20, it says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Are you one of the many tonight? Are you one of the many? If you've been to Calvary and you're washed in the blood, you're one of the many. You're one of the many who's come and been born again and saved by sovereign grace. And hence Christ has died for you. Christ was once offered. Notice not twice to be offered. Once offered once and for all offered, he will never be offered again. Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that, notice, look for him. Would you say, look for him? Would you say it louder? I'm just making sure you haven't fallen asleep on me. 
And unto them that look for him. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Do you see the words, words look for him? It gives the idea of those who would assiduously look for him or those who would diligently or meticulously or attentively working industriously for him while we're looking for him. This isn't about, well, we just get saved and we rest on the laurels and we, we do nothing for Christ and we don't serve him. We, we don't follow him. We don't grow to know him and to love him. No, it means here that we're looking for him. Can I ask you something, brothers and sisters tonight? Can I ask you with, with all the respect I have for you in my heart here, because you're my brothers and you're my sisters in the Lord, while we are here on this earth and while we are here in this moment and while you go home tonight and work tomorrow and whatever else you've got to do, are you really conscious of him? Are you conscious that he will come? Are you conscious that one day he will break the skies? We can preach it to, to the unsaved. You better get ready. You better get saved. Because one day the Lord will come and the skies will roll back like a scroll. And, and we're, those of us who are saved will be caught up to meet the Lord and all of this. But are you conscious of Christ and his coming in your life, in your walk? How you conduct yourself and the things that you put even before him in place of him? What if you were there when he came? What if you were doing that when he came? What if you were saying this when he came? Where would you be? What would you think? Would you stand in shame at his coming? You're saved to serve. Saved to serve. I thank the Lord that in CT we have great people who serve the Lord and are always ministering at so many different things going on during the week. But I'm talking about in your personal life. Are you conscious? Are you conscious of his coming? For when Jesus comes, how would you stand before him? Are you assiduous? Are you diligent? Are you meticulous? Are you attentive to it? Are you industrious for him? It means to expect fully that he's coming again. That he's coming again. Do you know what Martin Luther said? Because some people say, well, if he's coming, why bother? Why do this and why do that and why labor? Why go on if he's coming again? Some Christians are like that. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Let me tell you the words of Martin Luther. He says, if I knew Christ was coming tomorrow, I'd still plant a tree today. When he comes when he comes, I want to be able to stand before him unashamed in his presence. Now, I'm not saved by works. I'm saved by grace through faith. But I'm talking about standing and saying, Lord, all that thou hast called me to do and given me to do, I've done with all that I have for thee. Remember when I wasn't long saved, there was a wee chorus. I don't know if anybody would know it, so I'm not going to sing it on my own. But it goes like this. Oh, Calvary's lamb. Oh, righteous one. For sinners died whose sins were none. All that I have, all that I am, I owe to thee, oh, Calvary's lamb. Who knows that? 
I would have done a solo then, wouldn't I? <laughs> I had it printed on the wall. Got it printed out and put it on the wall. For he saved me a wretch where he brought me from. Saved my soul. And, and from then my heart just loves him. Grateful, gratitude, love for him, not fear. Love for him causes me to want to serve him. Notice here. In Romans 8 and 19, listen to what the apostle says. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now, I, I don't mean to offend, but there's a, a, there's a teaching there that it's nearly like uh, young, uh, little God syndrome come, comes in here where we end up, we have to manifest ourselves to the world to be like little gods. That's not what it means. That's not what it means, but rather it speaks of the resurrection when Christ returns. For the earnest expectation of the creature, that is creation, waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. In other words, when in Genesis chapter 3, when God cursed the earth, when he put the curse on man and on woman because of their disobedience and their sin before God, because of all of that, you see, we're living in a, a sin-cursed earth. Thorns and thistles, he says, will grow up unto thee. In the sweat of thy brow, you'll eat your bread. And listen, ladies, that's why you have a hard time in childbirth. But when Christ returns, listen, we're hearing of all of the climate change and you better do this and do that and we're not going to allow to eat hamburgers anymore or you're not going to allow to eat a steak anymore and you're not going to, you have to get rid of your cattle farmer and all this. Oh, Nonsense. Nonsense. All of this sort of stuff. Away with it. No, it's about controlling you. That's what it's for. It's all about controlling you. Let me tell you something. You know what's wrong with the earth? The Bible tells us it's called sin. It's called sin. And do you know when the earth is going to get better? When Jesus comes again. When Jesus comes again. I know this sounds maybe like I'm a bit selfish, but I wish he had just come right now in the middle of preaching this. Notice here. In Romans 8 and verse 23, listen to what the apostle says. We ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of the body. When will this happen? When Jesus comes again. I'm bringing you somewhere, so stay with me. So Paul is saying that when Jesus comes, our bodies, you know your body? Your body, that we're all getting older. And it starts to feel the, the, the temperature of the day, as it were. Starting to feel the aches and the pains. And you get maybe a bit more, you don't bounce back as much. You know, whenever you were young, you fell off your bicycle and you bounced up and away you went again. Now you, you're like Humpty Dumpty. You can't get put back together again, you know. You're a bit older. You don't bounce the same, you know. You get sick and all these sort of illnesses will come and we rely on trying to get better just to limp along. Well, listen, it says here and Paul is telling us when Christ comes back again, the word waiting in Romans 8 and 19 for the expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. And in Romans 8 and verse 23, we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting for the adoption to it, the redemption of the body. It's the exact same word that we use for uh, looking for. Looking for him coming. It's the exact same word. Our bodies are saying, where are you, Jesus? 
You know why? Because the curse of Adam kind's sin is in our genes. And sin brought forth death. And our bodies are saying, where are you? And see when it goes to the ground. See if you have a loved one in Christ and they've died and went into the ground. See when he returns, I'm going to show you. The Lord's going to call it and raise it back up again. How does he do it? I haven't a clue. But he's going to do it. He's going to do it. Take note here in Philippians 3 and verse 20 and 21. Verse 20 and 21, Philippians 3. There's one word in here. I want you to catch hold of this because this is important. Philippians 3, verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven. Underline the word conversation. Write it down. I'm going to tell you what it means in a moment. Sometimes conversation just means lifestyle. You know, as if it's recorded in heaven. And it is as in that sense. But that's not what it means here. I want you to... I want you to try and grasp this. For our conversation is in heaven from whence, hence we look for. There's the word. We look for the Savior. It's the exact same word. In fact, it's a big long word, apidachamai. It's assiduously and meticulously. It's the word apidachamai. And hence here, the same word here is used for waiting of the creature, for waiting for the adoption of the redemption of our bodies, and now looking for the Savior. We also look for the Savior. Apitachemai is the word. And hence, Paul, Paul is saying, our conversation is in heaven from whence we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So what Paul is saying is, our conversation is in heaven. From hence we look for. In other words, we are meticulous about. In other words, we must be industrious over. But the thing about this here is, why if our conversation, as Paul says, is in heaven? Because this is what it means. The word conversation is, <clears throat> is the word politamai. Politamai. And it gives the idea of our administration of civil affairs. Our administration of civil affairs. Uh, politamai is where we would get to things like to police something. Or politic comes from it, on down the line from it. So the Paul in it is where we get policing and politic from. And Paul is saying that our conversation, our politoma, is our administration of civil affairs, our form of government with its laws and constitution is fixed in heaven. And he's saying heaven and the Savior is coming to earth. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying we are looking for we're looking for our great police force from heaven. We are looking for our civil magistrate from heaven. We are looking for the one who gives us his law. Who gave the law to Israel? Yahweh. We're looking for him, the Savior to come. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else, he says. And we look at Christ. He's the one who's coming again. We look for him. And hence when we hear of all of these things that are, are maybe looking to happen. Listen, I'll just run this here, put this in while we're, while we're here. 
Do you know that is, I'm told, and I have to look further into it, but I'm told that it has already been passed in European Parliament. By the way, that means Northern Ireland will get it. That if it wants to be acted upon, the government can now not only, in fact, these, uh, these buffer zones are coming to, on the 7th of May, the buffer zones are coming into place around abortion clinics where you can't preach the gospel and you can't witness there anymore. Leading on from this, that even a pastor like myself or another are told what they can and what they cannot preach and what subjects they're not allowed to touch. Pastor Glenn was on this morning, wasn't he? And accordingly, I'm told that this has already been passed to be brought into jurisdiction, administration, and our civil affairs, our form of government. Now listen, brothers and sisters, I'm a peaceful man. I'm a law-abiding man. But when the law of the government goes against the law of God, then I'm not a law-abiding man. I abide the law of God. My conversation is in heaven. And Paul is saying, our conversation, our civil authority, the one who gives us the real law, the one which our nation was once built upon, which has been devastated and wrecked by these weak and watery men in government. Paul is saying our administration, our civil affairs, our form of government with its laws and constitution, which is fixed in heaven, is coming to earth. So we look for the Savior. And when Christ returns, he's bringing it all with him. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, church. Give him the glory, will you? Give him the glory. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Now, if you're here for the first time, and I get a little excited, after a while you get used to me. Notice here, brothers and sisters, the words of a Puritan Thomas Adams. I love this, and I just jotted it down. He that rose from the clods, we expect from the clouds. <laughs> he that rose from the clods, we expect from the clouds. Are you in a state of expectation. What if you were living some of the things and some of the, the ways you are? I'm not saying I know and I know everybody and what they're doing or what they're not doing. It's not up to me. It's between you and God. Maybe everybody's just perfect. Maybe I'm just perfect too. But what if we were there in that place, in that condition, and the Lord was to come? Would I be lost, Pastor? No, I don't believe so whatsoever, but I do believe that you'd be ashamed. Another old Puritan called William Gurnall once said, Christ hath told us he will come, but not when. That we might never put off our clothes or put out the candle. I told you many believers have went through my hands even just in the last six years of Christ Encounters Tabernacle. The many that have come and went on and backslid and went away or grown cold or went indifferent and their heart wasn't the same. 
They came through that whole period and what is the whole COVID period and some of them fell away in it and some of them just didn't want to know in it and because of, some became afraid in it and it's like sand running through your hands, brothers and sisters, and you're trying to grab them. You're trying to help them and lift them up. They just keeps dropping out. If I told you how many of them have put off their clothes, as it were, they've blew out their candle. Maybe I'm talking to one here tonight. Put off your clothes. You're not the one you used to be for Christ. You're not the Christian you used to be. You're not the, the one who serves the way you used to serve. You're not as faithful the way you used to be as faithful. You don't, you don't love him the way you used to. And just like he said to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 3, after he goes on a liturgy of, of a whole list of things that he liked about them, he says, but I have someone against thee because I has left thy first love. In other words, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter how hard and how much you've done, but you've stopped loving me. One, one writer says it means you've stopped loving me the way you did at the start. Reminds me, excuse me for quoting a couple of songs, and I don't usually do that. I usually sing them if I know them, don't I? Remember Keith Green saying, My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. And I know how I ought to be alive to you and dead to me. So what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up with the oil and the wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Come wash me in you in the wine of your blood. Who knows that one? Seriously. Where have you all been? Have we the words of that, Jeff? My eyes are dry, my faith is old. Who's sleeping down there, Jeff? <laughs> hey? If you have it, maybe sing it later. Do you know what, Billy? <laughs> Praise the Lord. But you know, I wonder, Christian, have you put off your garment, your clothes? Maybe even blew out your candle. Will you turn with me, please, to Mark's Gospel? Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, please. Will you let your eye run down, please? To verse 32. The Lord Jesus said, But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son but the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for you know not when the master of the house cometh at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning. Thus coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, 
I say unto all, watch. Notice the Lord says watch in verse 33, 34, 35, and 37. I think he's trying to tell us something, to watch. He gives even the times of the day, the even midnight cock crowing on in the morning. And he's saying watch, 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 and watch. He gives us four watches for the four shifts of the evening or of the day. He says in verse 34, For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants. The word servants is the word doulos or doulai. And it gives the idea of a bond slave. Uh, when a slave, a Hebrew slave, had maybe a, a lot of debt, he worked for another Hebrew. And according to the Israelite law, he used to be released once his wages had been made up and paid for. The debt had been paid And hence the master of the house says, on you go. But if his wife and children are there, he would have had to stay or else he could leave them. But if he says, I love my master, the master was to take him and get his ear and take him, if you want, to the the courthouse and put an awl, a big nail, and drive it through his ear and nail him to the post. Then he pulls it out and the blood is dripping down. He's marked for good, and it means everywhere he goes, none can take him and say, you are a slave because the mark is there. He's another man's servant. And he's there for love. He can come and go anytime. And Paul writes this right through the epistles. He calls us the doulos, the love slave, the bond slave, the one who's been marked by Christ and under the blood. And he says, none can ever take us out of his hand. Brothers and sisters, we have to realize this. And Paul is saying that to to these servants, or pardon me, Jesus is saying to these servants that the Lord is a man going into the far country and he gives authority to his servants. The word authority is exousia. Exousia. It means he gives them power. He gives them license. He gives them right. He gives them privilege. That's what that word means. He says, now servants who love me, disciples, disciplined ones who follow me. He says, for you, I've given you authority. I've given you power. I've given you license. I've given you privilege on this earth. Until when? Until he comes again. He says, but you watch. Don't put off your clothes, as it were. Don't blow out your candle. Don't walk away. And don't forget me. And don't fall out of love with me. Because I might come whatever watch of the night I come. That's what, what the Lord Jesus is saying here. That every man has a work. And the porter, the porter of it is really thought to be the apostles and the early disciples. And now the pastors of the church are the ministers of the gospel. The teachers and the Bible teachers of the word of God. And he's saying, listen, you ought to be ready. You ought to be watching. You ought to be uh, uh, telling your people and preaching it and teaching it of what is happening in this day and age. See how many people, how many Christians are, I don't mean this to be, I don't mean this to be nasty, but ignorant. They're ignorant of what is happening. They're ignorant of what's going on in our nation. They're ignorant of what's going on in the world. They have no idea. They have no clue. In fact, not so many years ago, 
Uh, Alison and I, uh, some of Alison's friends, we used to talk sometimes around the table for having something to eat about the second coming of Christ. And we were always told by Pastor McConnell about the second coming. We were always told to study it, look for him, watch for him, serve him like he's coming now. We're always taught that. We sat around the table talking about these things. And they stopped us one time. They says, look, we've been talking about this. Please don't talk about him coming anymore. We were dumbfounded and said, why? It says, because it frightens us. It frightens us. Brothers and sisters, you know why it frightens people? Because they don't know him. Because they're not ready. They're not watching. They're not waiting. They're not praying. And they're ignorant of what's going on. I trust there'll be no one enters these doors and CEP will be able to walk back out and say that I am ignorant of these things or I knew them not. Brothers and sisters, as porters, we must, we must set the trumpet to our mouths and sound an alarm in all of God's holy mountain. Notice this, if you will, before we move on a little. The Lord says in verse 35, Watch ye therefore, for you know not when the master of the house cometh at even or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning. Why did he mention those times? Well, he's just, he'd come any time. Yeah, well, that's, that's fine. But here's what I want to show you. During these watches, the captain of the temple guard would come around where the soldiers were standing. See, those who arrested Jesus in Gethsemane weren't really Roman soldiers. They were temple guards. They weren't the regular soldiers. These were guards from the temple. And they would have guarded around the temple all these watches. They would have moved and would have taken over. It's like our deacons with some in the car parking and with some in the door, with some around the table, with some doing whatever. And they rotate. So everybody's in a different place at a different week. And they done that in the scriptures, in the, in the times of Christ. And this is why the Lord is saying this. The captain of the temple made his rounds, and the guards, when they knew the captain was coming, had to rise up and stand to attention because they seen him from a distance. They seen him from a distance. Any guard found on duty and they were sleeping would be beaten or he would have his garments taken off him and in front of him sat on fire. And they seen his nakedness and the shame. This is the analogy Christ is bringing into the scripture. He says, you be like those temple guards. You be ready, be watching and looking, so you don't know when I'm coming. You may say, oh, that's a little bit of a stretching one, is it? Well, listen to this. You may say, I'm stretching this. Well, listen to this. In Revelation 16, and in verse 15, the Lord says through John, Behold, I come as a thief. Notice, behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. That's what Christ is speaking about. Of the temple guard who were not watching, who were not looking, who were not on guard, who were not alert. And he says, you watch. He says, who's coming a time, morning, noon, or night, you don't know when I'm coming. And if you're not ready, he says, you may lose your garments and you'll see your nakedness and your shame. 
So brothers and sisters, in Acts chapter 1 and in verse 11, they said, this same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. Quickly, here's some things when Jesus comes again. First of all, this same Jesus, it will be personal. When he comes, it will be personal. He's personally coming. He himself, he is personally coming. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Turn with me to John chapter 14, please. John 14, verse 1. The Lord Jesus is the speaker. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus is speaking about his second coming. That where I am, you'll be there. That where I am, there you will be also. When you go to First Thessalonians chapter 4, please. First Thessalonians, please, in chapter 4. And this verse is a, a, a golden mine for these things. We might have to revert back and forward. I might even do a second one, just cut it off soon and do a second evening or something like that. Notice here, let your eye run down, if you will. Just the one verse for the moment, but mark this chapter, verse 16. Remember, it will be personal. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So when Christ returns, it will be visible. Or pardon me, personal. Next, it will be visible. For example, in Acts chapter 10, uh, 1, verses 10 and 11, this is what they say. And why they looked, notice, looked with the eye, steadfastly, Toward heaven. As he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Verse 11, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? But this same Jesus will come back again. I'm paraphrasing. Notice, so they're looking up. It will be personal and it will be visible. And you turn to Luke chapter 21, please. Luke's Gospel, chapter 21. Just let your eye run down, please, to verse 25. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. See that word perplexity? Do you know what it really means? It means no way out. There's no way out. Gives the idea of a cul-de-sac. That the earth will be in a state with the nations, there's no way out. I want to ask you before we just go a bit further here. And you think of what's happening. And you think of our nation and the nations of the world. And you think of society. And you think of where we are. And you ever wonder, Lord, how do we get out of this? You think of the whole banking system. 
We think of what's coming ahead of us. How do we get out of this? Perplexity means there's no way out. There may not be a way out, but there's a way up. When Christ returns, when Jesus comes again. And here he's saying it would be about perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Notice men's heart failing them for fear. I think we've seen that recently, didn't we? Over the last wee while. Men's heart failing them for fear. Some of them were afraid there was no toilet roll left in the shopping, in the, in the supermarkets. Didn't they? They fought with each other over it. But you think about this. And I know, I know I'm saying that in jest, but it's true. But you think about this. We think of all those things, and we've seen them in a third world country. We would understand that, but we would say, you know what? They're mad over there, aren't they? Imagine getting on like that over a toilet roll. We would laugh at it, and we think, well, imagine. It was in our nation. It was in our supermarkets. They were beating ahead of each other in case they ran out of loo roll. Isn't that true? Think of the more serious things when it comes down to medicine, to care. Think of what's going to happen when it comes down to the financial crisis. Think of what's going to happen when they take your money and give you a digital system. Think of what's going to happen if they're like that. And I know it, it's just a rule, but think of what it's like. It's just a little foretaste for what's to come. Do you think that they won't? They won't attack you as your government? Do you think that they won't entrap you and imprison you as your government? Their hearts are failing them for fear. Pastor Glenn said this morning, I'm going to repeat it. Listen. We're not afraid. Are you afraid? Are you afraid over there? Here? Anybody afraid here? Over there? You know why? For God hath not given us a spirit of fear. It means timidity. I'm not even timid about it. But of power and of love and of a sound mind. God says, I won't use my servants to take the authority over it. They should be bound to us. Not us bound to them. Our civil government's coming when Jesus comes again. Our civil laws are coming and he's going to set up his marvelous kingdom in its fullness when he comes again. And I'll tell you, every one of them will come hand and foot. They'll be bound at Christ himself. They can laugh about him. They can joke about it. But he's coming. Brothers and sisters, Notice here what it says. Where was I? Oh, yes, here. For men's hearts filling in for fear, for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, hide in your house. Stay home and stay safe. I don't know about you, but see when they, see when they released the world, <laughs> you know, when they released the nation, 
I've seen people up and I've seen pastors up. Praise the Lord, we're out, we're out. They go, why wasn't in the first place? I don't know where you were. I sort of missed out, you know, on the Friday feeling. You get that Friday feeling. Work's over for the weekend. Well, see, if you work weekend, you don't have the Friday feeling. Well, guess what? I missed out on the Friday feeling. You know why? Because I wasn't allowing them to tell me to stay home. But other than that, me and Alison went for a drive all the time. The roads were clear. It was brilliant. <laughs> we went out for a drive and a walk along the beach. You know, it was fantastic. But that was the seriousness of where our world is. And maybe if there's someone here, you can see, surely you must be watching and waiting and ready and praying for the coming of Christ. How much more, how lower can they go? Hey, the, the, uh, the, the, the dirt and the filth of the system of Hollywood. Aren't you glad to hear that your man has cancelled all his concerts? Did you hear that? That demonic boy, Sam Smith, he's cancelled all his concerts. He said it was Pierce Morgan told him off. Imagine that. <laughs> wasn't Pierce Morgan. You know what happened? People started to wise up. And he wasn't selling his tickets. You know why? Because the Lord will not be mocked. God is not mocked. Notice this. I'm going to finish at this point and I'll do part two next week, okay? I think we've digested enough tonight. I think I've said enough to get myself into trouble for a while. (laughs) So, Jesus, when he comes, will be personal. It will be visible. In Revelation 1 and 7, it says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Imagine what that would be like. Shall wail because of him. When Jesus comes again, this is our last scripture. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. This is another fantastic chapter. And I would suggest that you read it. Read it all the time, but read it and read it. And God willing, next week we'll do part two. 1 Corinthians, please, chapter 15. Chapter 15. Just let your eye run down the chapter, if you will. The verse 51, and we'll maybe pick up here again some point next week. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, that is, die. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. That's the manifestation of the sons of God. We shall be changed. For this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Why must this mortal must put on immortality? You know, like you, it's the same, you must be born again. Why must put on immortality? Do you ever think like that? Why? Because I'll tell you one thing. Because when Christ comes, see if you don't put on immortality, you're not his. <laughs> It's a mark of the blood covenant between you and Christ. It's the redemption of the body. And if you don't put on immortality, you'll be unable to stand in the holy glory and majesty of God. He'll consume you with his presence. By the way, if you don't put on immortality, your body will get weak and die again. 
You might be able to live for a thousand years or two thousand years because of the glory of God, but they'll die. Notice here, you must put on immortality. Notice this. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory. Listen, see if the Lord takes me now and just put me in the ground. See if the Lord takes me now and you put me in a burial plot. I keep saying to Allison, I'm going back to Belfast. You put me up on Rose Lawn. And she says, you're not, you're going to Donna I says, why well, maybe you here when you're away before me? Oh, she's out tonight, so I can say that. <laughs> she's out with the, the youth tonight. But wherever I'm put, if, if Christ should tarry, I don't care. You know why? I think of those who were burned at the stake. Dust and ashes. I think of Whitcliffe. I think of those who, like of him, who, who translate the scriptures, who, who lay uh, in the ground after he was murdered, killed for the faith, dug up 40 years later or something like that, 44, I think it is, years later, and his bones were crushed to powder and the rest of them was burned, anything that remained, and he was cast into the river swift. I think of the like of him. I say, Lord, how do you how are you going to do this again? Simple. He's God. He's God. You think of those who have become fish food. You think of those who have died at sea and that by the fish. Went through the draught of the fish, even. You think of them. We always think of the nice tidy grave. No, you think of them. And by some way and somehow, when Jesus comes again, they will be called DNA. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's something even greater. They're going to be called. They're going to be fashioned together. They're going to be changed. And we're going to be with the Lord forever. (laughs) And listen, see if you have a loved one that's died in Christ. See if you have a wee one that's died in Christ. See if you have a parent or a a child that's died in Christ or a a spouse that's died in Christ and you're in Christ. See, when he comes, if he came tonight, you're going to rise from the dead. And guess what? In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you're going to be changed just like them and we're all going to be together forever and ever. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his... What is it? By his... When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day. A glorious day that will be. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Whether I go to the sod, whether I go to the sky, it doesn't matter to me. Because I'll tell you, I'll be with him in the by and by. <laughs> I'm going to be with Christ, which is, which is more than all this world can afford. Brothers and sisters, how important is it that we should, that we should preach the second coming. It is of the utmost important because Christ is coming at the last trump. 
The trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Would you say changed? But you know what? Sometimes in this life, Christian, I'm not trying to say, there's no condemnation now. Please don't think it is. But sometimes in this life, in this life as a Christian, as a brother, as a sister in Christ, I'm telling you, there has to be a change in the life. A change in the heart. A change in the mind. A change in the thinking. A change in the desires. See, people who say to me, oh, well, I asked Jesus into my life and, and see they're out there and they're drinking, smoking, partying, fornicating. They're not saved. They've never known Christ. They've never known him. I can tell you something, brothers and sisters. See, when you come to know Christ, I mean, see, when you've been born of the Spirit and you've been washed in the blood and you've been brought from the horrible pit and from the merry clay and he set your feet upon a rock and established your goings, put a new song in your mouth. Do you see when that's happened to you? Then you'll know there's none like Christ can satisfy. None other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy. Lord Jesus found in thee. It's all in Christ. It's all in him. When Jesus comes again, it will be personal. It will be visible. It will be audible. There's a whole lot more able. God willing, we'll look at it next week. Now none but Christ can satisfy none other name for there's love and life and lasting joy. Lord Jesus, thank you. You see it? Are you seeing? Listen, I'm not waiting for a mom to come to bless me and tell me I'm saved. I'm not looking for anybody's opinion to see whether I'm saved or not. And I'm not saying that out of an ignorance. I'm not saying that out of a contention. I'm saying that because I know the Savior. I'm saying that because I met him. Because he came and rescued me. Because he took me and he saved me. He washed me. He's forgiven me. My sins are in my past. My sins are all in the depths of the sea of his forgetfulness. Bless his holy name. I know him. Do you know him? Do you know him? Jeff, did we get that wee song? Yes. Mine eyes are dry. Does anybody know it? No. If you know it and you're not singing it and I start singing this, the Lord won't forgive you. Because <laughs> you're lying. Mine eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayer.
saying, do you not know that? Do you not, do you not know that, Rebecca? God forgive you. 